Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. So today, we are starting a new series called Decluttered. Does that look familiar to anybody up there? Anybody have a drawer like that at home? Yeah. <laughs> you like that drawer? That's <laughs> pretty organized, I guess. So today we're going to talk about uh, simplifying and decluttering our souls. So oftentimes when I'm thinking about what we should do for a sermon series, the thought process is, <clears throat> here's what I think we as a church should be addressing. And sometimes it's just me saying, I need to address this issue. I need to hear God on this. And I think maybe some other people are in the same situation. And that's how this series comes about. This is me saying, I think this is something I need. I don't know about you. You can give me a hearty uh uh-huh if this is you too, but I am feeling the complexity of life. Anybody else? Yeah. So I think we need some space to work towards simplicity. And I decided to do this series. And even then, I wasn't really sure what kind, what, what are we talking about? What kind of simplifying are we talking about? I think typically in this kind of sermon, the emphasis is on <clears throat> kind of the outside working in. So things like materialism and decluttering our homes, how we manage our finances and our schedules. And none of that stuff's bad. That's all good stuff. And all of that stuff will come into play during the series. But primarily, where my mind has gone is to... Realize I think I need to learn simplicity from the inside out, not the outside in. In other words, simplicity of thought, simplicity of soul. What is it like to declutter our minds so that we have a simple focus and can live at kind of a different pace mentally? And as I began to look into this and begin to see kind of what Scripture says and what different writers have said, I realized this is an area of need for me. Maybe it is for you as well. So I'm going to get a lot out of this series. I hope you'll join me. So, <clears throat> the, so we're told in Scripture that we can have the mind of Christ. It's available to us. So then the question has to be, how did Jesus think? What was his thought life like? There's some clues in Scripture, and I want to learn from those and begin to kind of have the, to begin to kind of have the internal world that Jesus had. And I also think that Jesus kind of nudges us to become reflective and think about our internal world before he teaches us about his internal world. Here's what I mean. At the beginning of John's gospel, John sees Jesus, and John says, Behold the Lamb of God. He says that a couple times. And one time in John 1, the Bible says in first life, yep, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And he says, Look, the Lamb of God. And then it goes on to say, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So a couple of Christ's disciples were first John's disciples. So, and then John passes them on when, John, when Jesus comes on the scene. So these guys are hanging out with John. John sees Jesus and goes, there he is. And they follow Jesus. And Jesus turns around and he sees them and they're following him. And he says, what do you want? Now, at first, you could kind of just read that as kind of a brusque, kind of brusque couple guys following Jesus. He spins around and goes, what do you want? But what's interesting is, I think if you pause a little bit on this, I think we can see Jesus setting the stage. 
Even at this point, he is beginning their journey of discipleship. He says, what do you want? I think Jesus is saying, what do you want out of life? Consider what you want from this relationship you're about to enter into. What do you want? Is, what do you want is the first thing Jesus says in John's gospel. And of course, John is kind of the philosopher, gospel writer. He chooses his words very wisely. He's making a point by the way he's presenting this. And his point, philosophically, theologically, is that answering that question is our starting place with Jesus. To hear him say, what do you want? So let's start there. What do you want? Why are you here? Why are you at church? I mean, what are you hoping to get out of this? You want to learn stuff? You want more out of life than just to get smarter? What do you want? I mean, tell me what you want. What you really, really want. Just to quote the Spice Girls. What is it you really want? Is it happiness? Is it joy? Is it satisfaction? Delight? Is it security? Sense of well-being? Is it friendship? Is it guidance? Spiritual health? Is it fun? Good life? Here's something I find interesting. I think if we see Jesus as the one who calls us into spiritual life and, and health, and that's good for us, but that's all we see in him, we will tend to see Jesus as calling us towards what's good for us in the same way that kale, the same way that kale is good for you. It's healthy but boring, right? I know about kale chips. You don't need to email me. I've tried them. They're still kale, just salty. But if that's how we see Jesus, as healthy but boring, then we will think, I mean, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to have some fun. I also want to have a good life. And so we'll start to look elsewhere for that. Because we do not think that Jesus is the source of all joy and all life and beauty and all love and happiness and all satisfaction. So then we'll have this, I want, I want to be spiritually healthy, but I also want to have fun. Now I have a divided mind. I'm following Jesus, but I'm also, I also have like to follow something else a little bit in order to have some fun. But what if Jesus really is a source of not only what's good for us, but what is good for us is to enjoy life? And he knows that. And so there's no divide between the two. What's good for you and what's fun and joyful. What's healthy and what's good, spiritually speaking. What's healthy and what tastes good, spiritually speaking. What if Jesus is the whole thing? And if that's the case, how can I stop being divided in my loyalties and my intentions? Where I'm trying to follow Jesus while saying I can't give my whole life to Christ. Because, it, because that's a recipe for a cluttered soul. Because what does he teach? Die to self, right? Pick up your cross, follow him completely. And don't you think the father wants his children to enjoy life? To be happy? I mean, that's what a father wants. That's what God says. He says, your love is evil compared to how beautiful God's love is, but even you want happiness for your kids. You don't just want them to be healthy and do the right thing, right? I want my kids to grow up and be good people. I do. But I don't want them to be good, miserable people. I care for my kids, so I want them to be happy. And I want them to have fun and be joyful. God wants that. So we can say, following Jesus is what I'm going to give my life to. And that gives us a simplicity of mind. And that simplicity of mind, that simplicity of focus, is you don't need Jesus plus anything else. Jesus asks us, what do you want? 
That's where I think Jesus meets us in our wants. Right? Jesus does more than just teach us things, you know? There was a philosopher, Rene Descartes. We have a picture of him. He's famous for his amazing phrase, cogito ergo sum, which is Latin for what? Anybody know? I think, therefore, I am. We have a picture of Rene. There he is. There he is. Good looking fellow, Rene. I like his hair. I'm a little envious of his hair. So he becomes, in some sense, the father of modern philosophy with this idea, cogito ergo sum. I, I think, therefore, I am. I'm a thinking person. I can even think about what I'm thinking about. I can doubt things, and I can even doubt my own thoughts. But the fact that I'm doubting and thinking and processing, all that means I'm human. That was his idea. It's a beautiful thought and a fascinating idea, but it tends then to reduce human beings to thinking things only. In fact, that, that's what he called us. We're thinking things. That's what it means to be human, to be a thinking thing. It's like a bobblehead doll, just a giant head on a small little body. Like brains on a stick is what we are. Sounds like a treat from a very strange fair. But this Descartian paradigm, that we're just these thinking things, that idea will and has, I believe, influenced our understanding of life and our understanding of personhood. It's an intellectualist model of personhood, which will lead to an intellectualist model of discipleship. It's sanctification by information. It is discipleship by learning stuff. But you know this, to be human is not just to be a thinker. You know there's something else going on inside you. Why? Because there's lots of things you do as a human being that are contrary to what you think. There's some, some other force at work. There are things you think you should do that you don't do. You think you should do them, and you believe you should do them, but you don't do them. And there are things you think you should not do that you believe you should not do, and then you do them. There's more going on in what it means uh, to be human than just thinking things. We are doing things, and we are desiring things. We have wants. We are oriented towards something. We feel like we need to pursue something. We're always emotionally kind of leaning into something. These desires are not, not a bad part of us necessarily. And that's why Jesus starts with us. What do you want? Not what do you think. What are your desires? Do you really, really, in real life, want to follow Jesus? Because he can become that sole singular focus that gives us complete satisfaction. James K.A. Smith says in his book, You Are What You Love, he says, to be human is to be for something, directed toward something, oriented toward something. To be human is to be on the move, pursuing something, after something. Then listen to this. We are like existential sharks. We have to move to live. That's brilliant. Some, some species of sharks have to swim to breathe. They can stop for brief moments, but they can't like breathe in, in water. So they're always swimming to pass water over their gills. Always swimming, always moving. He says, we find our meaning in what we're pursuing, what our wants are. And we're always needing to be moving into something. We have wants, we have desires. That's at, at least as much of what it means to be human as the fact that we think stuff. And St. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself as a prayer, he says to God, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. 
So we need to pursue something. We're restless just being still. And we're made for God. And so pursuing him is the simplest, most fulfilling life. And if we don't acknowledge that and allow the simplicity of, of that focus to take over our thinking, then we'll start reaching out and, and grasping for things in many different places. Augustine uses different analogies, which I, appreciate, which I appreciate. He says, you know what you're like? You're like a thing that has to get somewhere. And he uses simple analogies. He says, for instance, if I hold a rock, the rock desires to get to the ground. In fact, I know if I set it free, that's where it will go. But if I watch the fire and notice the sparks, the sparks want to go in the opposite direction. They want to go up. And things are not at rest until they get to where they want to go. Things want to get to a place where they are themselves. Then they can find rest. He says, look at these simple analogies and notice that this is what it's being a human being is like. We're restless until we get to where we're supposed to be. And that where we're supposed to be placed is God. It's a simple, uncluttered focus. Do you ever hold a beach ball under the water? He wants to get above the surface of the water, right? And we are like submerged beach balls. We've got to get somewhere. If we don't acknowledge where that is and have the simplicity of focus to move in that direction, we will reach out for many other things and our minds become increasingly cluttered. Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. That's what it means to be human. To have our wants, our desires, our will, our love reaching out in the direction of God. We either acknowledge it and we partner with it, and, or we don't. And we head off in a bunch of different directions. So this series is about aligning our wants and our loves with the wants and loves and thoughts and mindset of Jesus. That's, that's it. Okay, that's our introduction. Let's start the sermon, shall we? (laughs) Open up your Bibles to John 5, if you have them. Because I want to show you quickly how Jesus thinks. Because we say, all right, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, I want to follow Jesus. Beautiful, what does that mean? Can he teach me how to think like him, not just live like him? And he does. He gives us a glimpse here and there of what his mindset is. And in John 5 and John 6, there are a couple of those places where we get a glimpse of the, <clears throat> the internal world of Jesus, the kind of thoughts he was thinking when he was walking among us. So John 5, 19 and 20, is, uh, Jesus is in the middle of a conversation about his authority to heal on the Sabbath with the Pharisees. And in the context of this conversation, he says, Very truly I tell you, John 5, 19, The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So how simple is that? Jesus says, here's what I'm thinking about, what I'm focused on, how I live life. I say, hey God, what do you want to do today? And that's what I do. Or even more, hey God, what are you already doing today? I'm going to partner with you and do that. Because God's always at work around us. Hey God, what are we doing today? Let's do that. I want my will to be aligned with your will. Simplicity. Hey God, what are, what are you up to? What are you doing? I don't want to do anything other than what you're doing. And how you want me to participate in that. Every day, that's how Jesus lived. 
Now, some of us will resist this because we might say, I have a hard time just kind of trusting God. I think I want to do like 80% of what you want me to do today, God, but I also need 20% fun or relaxation or time off from all the stress of being religious. You do understand, right, that God's will is that you have rest. His will is that you have peace and joy. And I believe if we give ourselves completely to following God, we will have more rest, more joy, more peace than if we try to live with a divided mind. Simplicity. Hey, God, what are you doing today? Let's do it together. Look at the next thing Jesus says, verse 20. The first phrase in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. God shows me what he's up to. I'm happy to participate. Why? Because I know he loves me. This is Jesus' mindset. Jesus walked around saying, I know the Father loves the Son. I know I'm loved by the Father. So, what do you want to do today? What a beautiful, simple way of living. Now it isn't a matter of, I have my religious life, and my family life, my work life, and my school life, and my fun and recreation life. It's just all the Jesus life. And I do all these things under the umbrella of the Jesus life because Jesus wants us to do well in those things in right measure. He guides us. But now there's a simplicity. It's all for God. And this works in times of peace and in times of crisis. So that even before the cross, Jesus can pray, take this cup from me, but ultimately, not my will, but yours be done. Simplicity of focus. He'll go on to say this in verse 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those who he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. My Father, he loves me, he loves people, he cares about their lives. It's love God, love others. Simplicity of saying, what's, the most, impor- what's most important are the people God loves and that he wants to save. And I can trust that every day is a good day as I live with this in focus. Why? Because God loves me. Why? Because God loves people. And he wants what's best for them and he wants what's best for me. So I could start each day. I could live each moment saying, hey God, what are you doing right now that I could participate in? And I take that singularity of focus into everything. In Philippians 2.5, the Apostle Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He goes on to talk about giving his life as a, as a servant, submitting to the Father's will and serving others. I love how he says earlier in the same book, Philippians 1.9, he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, this is interesting. Paul doesn't pray, my prayer for you is that you will grow in knowledge and depth of insight. He doesn't just pray that. He doesn't just pray that we'll be receptacles of intellectual facts. That's not the discipleship. That's not following Jesus. He says, I pray that your love will become more knowledgeable. Your love will have more insight. But it'll still be your love, right? Your wanting, your choosing. Your moving through life like an existential shark. Not I think, therefore I am. I love, therefore I am that your love will grow in knowledge and depth of insight. This is a prayer for us. Okay, so how do we put this into practice? Now, here's the first thing. If we don't, if we don't honestly believe Jesus is the source of all joy, 
and rest and fun. So we want to follow Jesus, but we also keep something on the side for the fun bits. The fun bits are now divorced from Jesus and his input because we have separated them in our mind, which then tends to create fun as an area that's uninformed by the presence and beauty of Jesus. So that makes it easier for us to overdose in things to an unhealthy measure, whether that be alcohol, whether that be the kinds of relationships that we get involved in, whatever it is. And so we can head down a route where fun ends up just becoming a sinful place. So how do we begin to align everything to Christ? Well, I think it's through liturgy. Through liturgy, you might say. What are you talking about? When I say the word liturgy, what do you think? What do you picture when I say the word liturgy? Can you put the next slide up? There you go. Is it that? It's religious stuff, right? It's going through certain rituals and traditions and routines. Lots of great interesting gowns. And incense, fancy stuff, lots of gold. You stand up now, you sit down now. But the word liturgy is this beautiful Greek word, liturgia. It's in the scripture. It literally means the work of the people. It's when a group of people accomplish something together that they can't by themselves. Liturgia. It's used a few different times in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 9.12, the Apostle Paul is talking about the liturgy of supplying the needs for the Lord's people. It also, but also how liturgy overflows in many expressions of thanks to God. It blesses God, and it blesses others, and it blesses us when we organize ourselves to accomplish things in the name of Jesus. That's liturgy. We can turn to liturgy to do things together that we aren't able to do by ourselves. And that even includes when we're alone. Because we need the accountability and the encouragement of knowing that you're not alone, even when you're by yourself, if you know what I'm saying. So today we're going to talk about a practice, a liturgy, that we can do when we're by ourselves, but we're still doing it together because we're all doing it. Okay? As we're all encouraging one another to do the actions of discipleship, that becomes our liturgy as we do them together. And throughout the series, we'll talk about liturgical practices. We'll talk about liturgies that can help us train ourselves to focus on Jesus. And I think we have to admit up front, we'll do these imperfectly. But we should still do them. And there will be days when, you, when I say, I think I got this wrong. And that's okay. But we don't say, oh man, I messed up. There's no use. Because the idea of discipleship is to get better, better at it through practice, through liturgies, a work of the people. So here's our homework, our liturgy for the week. Start the day with Jesus. Simple. Some of you, when you first wake up, what's the thing you, you do? Reach for your phone. Begin to check the email, the news, the Twitter feed, Facebook, social media, whatever it may be. Just got to check and find out what's going on in the world. And others have a different routine, or you just lie there and think about your day or whatever. Before any of that, this week, every day, set your daily alarm just 10 minutes earlier. Then rather than reaching for your phone, first to catch up on social media, news, email, reach for your Bibles. So you're going to have to put your Bible beside your bed. Now it's just a couple of verses to look at. If you don't want to keep your Bible there, then just get a piece of paper, write write these verses out, put them beside your bed. This week, for the first 10 minutes, read and meditate on John 5, 19 and 20. That's when Jesus says, what do I do? I just do what, the God's, what God's doing. 
Why can I do that? Because he loves me. I know he loves me. So I just want to do whatever he's doing right now. So you're going to meditate on that. And then pray that the mind of Christ leads you that day. Say, Jesus, we're told we have the mind of Christ. I want to have your mind today. I want to just see what you're doing, be aware of it, and then partner with what you're doing today. I want to see your delight in my kids so that I can delight in my kids more. I want to see your delight in my family, my parents, my friends. I want to see your delight in that stranger I meet, how precious they are, because you want everybody to be saved, so that I can begin to have delight in them too. I want to see your delight in me, how much you love me, and want me to have joy and fun and rest. It's a simple-minded, singular focus. What's God doing right now? I want to do that with him. You can think about your day that lies ahead, and then just begin to practice the mindset before you get out of bed. That's it. That's your homework. See how long you can maintain that. Maybe all the way to the bathroom. Brush your teeth and then say, God loves that guy and that girl right there in the mirror. We're going to do amazing things together with God today. Start the day with that this week. We're going to practice this liturgy by ourselves, yes, but together as a church body this week. Amen? Want to do it? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give ourselves over to you because we believe you do love us. And your love for us means you want what's best for us, including our joy and our happiness and our rest. Help us not to be cluttered with dual-mindedness, Lord. This week I pray we would allow our, uh, our other distractions to just melt away so that we can be with you, partnered with you, listening to your will, sensing your love in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.